The sermon preached at St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, member of the Wells, on February 8, 2015, based on Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word from God through which the Holy Spirit draws us into the comforting arms of our Savior is the second lesson, Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints, wash clean in the blood of our risen Savior. A mother sobs at the graveside of her six-year-old. What good could come from a life cut so short? A once powerful man no longer has the strength to lift a spoon to feed himself. What good could come from a life lingering on so helpless and dependent on others? A student dreads another day of school throughout which there will be hateful taunts. What good could come from such bullying? God works all things for good. And yet so often when we feel the need for that promise the most, it seems to be almost like empty words, hollow words echoing in our heads. What good, we think, what good could come from this? Dear, dear friends, let us humble ourselves before the Holy Spirit and take to heart these words that he speaks to you and me through the pen of the Apostle Paul. For the Holy Spirit wants each of us to have the confidence to face each day, saying, God weaves together all things for good. That's the theme we focus on here this morning. God weaves together all things for good. He does it for those who love him, that's part one, and he does it to bring his people into glory, that's part two. God weaves together all things for good. The apostle writes, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Notice those first two words, we know. But how? How do we know that? You study history and you see many examples of God's people suffering at the hands of the ruthless and powerful in this world. No proof there. Science says that there is no divine hand guiding and protecting, but rather that all things happen either by predetermined natural laws or because of the uh, possibilities of subatomic particles, in other words, by chance. No promise there. And even our own experience so often tells us that we're not going to find any good in what's happening. So how do we know? 
How do we know that God weaves together all things for good? Well, because he tells us so. That's his promise here, isn't it? And so despite what you see or feel, despite what uh, reason or experience surmises, take your God at his word. Believe what he says. Believe what he says to the apostle. All things work together for the good of those who love God. He weaves them together in ways that we cannot see or even imagine. And so we hold on to this promise by faith alone. He promises to do this with all things. All things, good and bad. The joys and the sorrows, the delights, the sufferings, the triumphs, the failures, all things. You can almost imagine life like a huge pile of threads of every various shade, color, and hue. And somehow God is working them all together, weaving them together for good. But also notice whom this promise is for. He doesn't make this promise as a generic promise for mankind in general that somehow there will be an earthly utopia somewhere in the future. He doesn't make this as a promise that humankind has some sort of destiny, some sort of ultimate good to achieve. No, this promise is for a very specific group of people, isn't it? It says here, it's for those who love God. These are not words to speak to people who do not trust in Jesus as their Savior from sin. For you see, it is only through Jesus that we know and love God. And this promise is only for those who love God. Whatever hope or comfort anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus might find in these words is a false hope and comfort. This promise is only for those who love God. And that, by the way, dear friends, is why it is so foolish to think that being a Christian takes the fun out of life or that religion is something for us to postpone until death is closer. Why would you want to rob yourself of the comfort that comes from these words that, and the confidence that these words bring us each and every day, that confidence to face whatever the day may bring with that assurance that God is somehow working good? Yes, this is the promise for those who love God. Now why do you love God? None of us. None of us started out life loving God. Earlier in this chapter, the apostle writes, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God, nor can it do so. And we all began life filled with sinful desires and empty of all good. We were God haters. We could not come to him, much less love him. We were God's natural born enemies. And God is very clear. He hates all who do wrong. He will punish all who oppose him. Punish not with a slap on the wrist, but with hell. That unending torment of fire, pain, and tears. Who could love such a God? So why do you love God? Some imagine that they love God because they have redefined God into something more to their liking. Something that maybe is easier for them to 
live up to. A God who is more tolerant or who accepts us if we just do our best and try hard. But such a God, dear friend, is no God at all. Such a God does not make all things work together for good because he has no power, he doesn't even exist. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you love God because you've redefined him into something else. Why do you love God? The answer is right here in the text. Let's, let's go back and see what Paul wrote here. Notice how he defines those who love God. He defines them as those who are called according to his purpose. You love God, dear Christian, not because of who you are or because of any choice, decision, or action on your part. You love God because he, he called you according to his purpose. He called you to faith in Jesus. He called you out of the darkness into the marvelous kingdom of the Son whom he loves. He called you according to his purpose and plan. That means he was not moved by anything in us. He was moved by his own grace, by his own goodwill and pleasure. He called you based on what Jesus Christ, his Son, has done for you because Jesus washed away your sins, because his death ransoms you, because his resurrection has justified you before God. He has called you through the gospel, that good news of forgiveness in Jesus, that good news that has come to you through the water of baptism and through the word of the scriptures. He has called you according to his good purpose. Yes, that is why you and I love God. That is the only reason why. Because he has called us according to his purpose, by grace alone, in Christ alone, through the gospel alone. And as we consider what our God has done for us, we see that we need to continually remind ourselves of his love. Yes, when, when we wonder whether our love for God is losing its fervor, when we wonder whether maybe bad things are happening to us because we're not loving God enough, when we wonder whether we can make it through the day with all its troubles and what good could come from this suffering, when we have those wonders, those, those doubts, don't turn into your heart trying to pump up more love for God by looking into yourself, but rather remember why you love God. It's because he has called you. And so listen to his call through the gospel. Listen as he continues to call you through that good news that comes to you again and again. Listen to that good news which his word and sacraments bring to you. Listen to that good news of his love that has washed away your sins and given you rebirth into his family through the water of baptism. Listen to his good news, that good news of love 
that sacrificed his son for you and now invites you to often eat his body and drink his blood in the Lord's Supper so that you can remember all the better that great love. For you see, as we keep on going back to the Lord's call through that to that good news of his love that called us to faith, as we keep on going back to that good news that strengthens our love for God. For you see, we love him because he first loved us. Listen to that good news of what he is weaving together for you who love him. For he weaves together all things for the good of his people, to bring his people into glory. And that brings us to the second part here. God was weaving together all things to bring his people into glory. He was doing that before any of his people, including you and me, even existed. You see, this is God's work from eternity to eternity. The apostle writes, for those he foreknew, and here he's taking us back to before the creation of the world, for those he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. From before he created the world, he knew you as one whom he had chosen to save as his own dear child. He didn't simply know about you. He knew you and marked you off as his dear child and lamb. He knew you, dear Christian, predestining you to be adopted into his family through the washing of the word in baptism. And he knew you as a father knows his child. He knew you as a shepherd knows his sheep calling you by name, finding you in the darkness of this world in that wilderness and putting you on his shoulders and bringing you into his flock. He knew you and marked you off as his very own. And to accomplish this which his grace had planned from before the creation of the world, to accomplish that, the Father sent his Son. And the Son became one of us. He became flesh and blood. And then, in order to bring sinners like us into his family, in order to make us his brothers and sisters, he laid down his life to take away that sin, to ransom you, to free us, to be children of God, children of the Heavenly Father, And he rose from the dead, the firstborn from the grave. We too will be like him. Or as the apostle puts it, we will be conformed to his image. Now Christ lives in our hearts through faith in him. He lives in our hearts now and to a certain extent we reflect his image in our lives. But that is only in part at this time. These words point us ahead also to when Jesus comes again in glory and raises us from the grave, just as he, as the firstborn, was raised from the grave. He will raise us from the grave and will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, Philippians 3. Then we will be like him, for we will see him as he is, 1 John 3. 
then what God had planned from before the creation of the world will be fully accomplished. We will be conformed to the image of his Son, living as his brothers and sisters in glory for all eternity. Yes, God weaves together all things to bring his people into that glory. And now, to accomplish this plan that his grace had formed before the creation of the world and to bring it to completion in eternity, here in time, he has called you and justified you. Even as Paul writes, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. When he called you, to faith. You then stood before God with your sins completely forgiven. For through faith in Christ, not only are your sins taken away, but all that Jesus has done, all his righteousness, his perfect record counts for you. And so we stand before God justified, acquitted of all sin, because of Jesus, he called you to faith so that you stand before him now and forever as forgiven sinners, acquitted, washed clean by the blood of Jesus, covered, clothed with his righteous record. And what glory awaits us. What glory awaits us because we are justified in Christ Jesus. For God's promise will not fail. Why would we not love such a God who has done such great things for us? Why would we not devote our time, energy, effort, talent, abilities, and wealth to serve him in whatever he puts in front of us to do? Why would we not vigorously resist sin and obey him? Why would we not gladly hear his words of love proclaimed in the scriptures and receive the testimony of his love often in, the, in, in Holy Communion? Why would we not? Trust him day after day that no matter what's happening, no matter what we are going through, no matter how difficult it is, he is somehow beyond our ability to imagine. He is indeed working and weaving together all things for good. His love will not fail you. He weaves together all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. He weaves together all things to bring you, his people, into glory. And there in heaven we will no longer have to wonder at that mess of tangled threads that look like just a jumbled mess to us. There in heaven we won't be looking at the backside of the Lord's work anymore, seeing only that tangle of threads. There in heaven we will see the front. We will see the pattern that he has been weaving throughout our lives, that pattern that works together all things for good. There in heaven, glorified, we will see. But for now, for now we live by faith holding on to his promise, trusting his love. What a God for us to love, honor, serve, and obey because of his great love that weaves together all things for good. Amen. Please stand. 
The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.